All right, good morning. Oh, so nice to see everyone. Love watching all of you catch up with one another and check in and see how each other are doing. It is wonderful to be gathered together this morning. Uh, good morning and welcome to COV. I am excited to continue this morning in our series on prayer. And we're going to open up uh, various different scriptures this morning, and I'm excited to see what the Lord has for us. If we have never met before, my name is Ruth Zilka, and I am a member of the teaching team here at COV. And I am married to Kyle, who is uh, an elder here at COV, and is actually currently um, doing baseball duty this morning for our son in Turlock. So, yay for him. <laughs> he took one for the team this morning. And then, um, actually, my daughter, Eliza, you can't see her, but she's in the back, and she uh, is doing slides for me this morning. So, uh, we love COV. Our family has been here for, oh my gosh, how many years? I don't even, five years? Thank you, Tim. Uh, and are just so grateful for uh, this family and body of Christ. So over the past several of weeks, we have looked at the why, the what, and the how of prayer. All of those sermons have been so encouraging, I know to myself, I'm sure to you as well. And this morning, we are going to be looking at the who, specifically who we pray to and who we pray for. So when I was first given this topic, I felt like, okay, well, this is going to be the shortest sermon ever because I can answer that question in six words. We pray to God for everyone. All right, sermon done. Let's go get brunch. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you can go get lunch afterwards. How about that? All right, while we might be able to quickly answer that question and our topic today in six words, there is so much to unpack within those six words. What does it mean to pray to God, and why should we care about praying for everyone? Because if you ask me, that might sound a little generic and also kind of broad. So let's break it down and figure out exactly what it means to pray to God and to be willing to pray for everyone. Today, we're going to unpack the importance of praying to the triune God, God three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we will also unpack why it is important to be willing to pray for everyone, even those people we don't necessarily want to pray for, which I'm sure maybe some of us might have a specific person coming to mind right now but even those really hard people are important to pray for. So let's dive in and see what the Lord has for us this morning. Let's begin with answering the first part of our topic for today. The who. Who do we pray to? In Psalms chapter 17, we read one of the many prayers of David and see his heart for prayer. Verse 6 says this, I call on you, my God, for you will answer me. Turn your ear to me and hear my prayer. There's just such a heart of wanting to connect with the Father in the, the, this verse right here. 
And I hope for us, as we continue to see what the Lord has for us this morning, that this would be our heart as well, that we are calling on our God because we know that he will hear us. The very short answer to the question of who we pray to is God. But you might be thinking, then why do some people begin their prayer with dear Heavenly Father or dear Lord or Father God? Or, or maybe you even yourself have, have the habit of ending your prayers by saying, in Jesus' name, amen. And then we might also be wondering, well, what about the Holy Spirit? I've already talked about the triune God. We just sang about the Trinity. How does the Trinity fit into prayer? The fact that God is three in one, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So before we kind of connect some of these pieces, I think it's important for us to stop and to define some of these terms that we're talking about and explain the Trinity a little bit. So one of the really awesome parts about being on the teaching team, besides getting to work and meet with a lot of other really great gifted teachers, is that sometimes I get to hear about things, just sometimes, to get to hear about the exciting things at COV a little bit early. So one of these things that I've recently been able to read and hear about is our statement of faith. And the definitions that I'm going to use this morning and share with you come from that statement. And while they aren't word for word, each definition will give you a good idea of what we at COV believe. So first, let's define the Trinity. There is one God, creator and sustainer of all things. He is infinitely perfect and eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All three are equal, of the same essence, and are one. Okay, so that's kind of that's going to set the stage for us as we move on to these other uh, definitions. The next is the Father. So God the Father is an infinite personal spirit, perfect in holiness, wisdom, power, and love. He concerns himself mercifully in the affairs of humanity. He hears and answers prayer, and he saves from sin and death all who come to him through Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ. He fully knows the past, present, and future, independent of human decisions and actions. The Father does everything in accordance with his perfect will. Okay, so we've got the Trinity, an idea of that as a whole, and now we've looked at the Father. Let's move to the Son. Jesus Christ is God incarnate, fully God and fully man. You may have heard if you've been around COV before that Jesus is God with skin. Okay, that's what we're trying to say in these words here. So Jesus, Israel's promised Messiah, was conceived through the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life, performed miracles, died on the cross, and rose victoriously from the dead before he ascended into heaven, where he is currently sitting at the right hand of God the Father as our high priest and advocate. The person and work of Jesus is the sole means of justification for any and every person who is adopted into the kingdom of God. Okay, so we've got the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and now let's move to defining the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's ministry is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, to implement Christ's work of redeeming the lost, and to empower the believer for godly living and service. The Holy Spirit enables Jesus' followers to understand the scriptures, guides them to maturity in Christ, 
gives guidance for life, comforts them, and empowers them for service. The Holy Spirit distributes spiritual gifts to believers as he wills for the common good and bears witness in the hearts of true believers that they are children of God. This is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each with their own role, but all equal and of the same essence, three in one, three persons, one God. So here's the thing about the Trinity. It's confusing, all right? <laughs> Am I not the only one? <laughs> okay, thank you. And that's okay. It's okay that it feels a little bit confusing. We don't have to fully comprehend it to believe it. Because we serve a mighty, powerful God who's complex. And I believe part of the beauty of a relationship with him is getting to constantly learn and grow and increase our understanding of who he is. Let's take scripture for example. Have you ever read a verse, maybe the, the second, fifth, hundredth time and still learned something new? Have you ever had it convict you in a new way or reveal something new about God each time you read it? That is our almighty, most powerful, perfect, holy God. He is trustworthy and faithful to continue to grow us, teach us, and reveal himself to us. And that's God working through all of his infinite grace. And it is one of the greatest gifts that we get to experience as his children in relationship with him. Now, prayer is a beautiful gift as well. And it is a way that we get to communicate with and worship the creator of the universe, the triune God. As Tim said a few weeks ago, prayer is powerful because of who we are praying to. And as Mike quoted St. Augustine last week, we do not pray to remind God about how holy he is. We instead are praying to remind ourselves of how holy he is. And two weeks ago, Daniel taught us about Daniel and how he was thrown into the den of lions, the Bible Daniel, not our Daniel. Because, and uh, he's thrown in because of what we read in Daniel 6.10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree, and let me just pause for, for a second because we're not giving context. I'm going to give you a little context. This decree was that they were only to pray to King Darius for 30 days. Okay, so let's start over. When Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. We pray to the one true and holy God, not to any earthly person or thing as some religions teach. When we pray, we pray to God the Father because of the redeeming work of Jesus Christ through the power 
of the Holy Spirit. Hey, when we pray, we pray to God the Father because of the redeeming work of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And ending our prayers with the phrase, in Jesus' name, amen, shouldn't be something that we just rush through or we use as a signal when we're praying out loud to other people that we're done and, you know, nudge, nudge, it's your turn. Hey, I read a... uh, a, a, or a podcast, it was the transcript, that's the word I'm looking for, of a podcast interview by John Piper, and he said this about the significance of ending our prayers with the words, in Jesus' name, amen. These words express something glorious and essential. We have no access to God without Christ and his name. And so when we pray, in Jesus' name, we are saying that to the Father, I am not coming in my own name, not in my own merit, not in my own worth. I am coming because Christ loved me, Christ died for me, Christ rose for me, Christ intercedes for me. That is what that little phrase carries, and it is just huge. And it is. What a gift that we have been given that we so often take for granted. When we pray, we pray to the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one, working together as one. Therefore, when we pray to one, we are praying to all. And all three should be active participants in our prayers as believers. And because of what we read in the New Testament, we can be confident that because God has redeemed us through Jesus' finished work on the cross, that all three are active participants in our prayers, whether we name them or not. Prayer is worship. And worship of anything else except the triune God should be unfathomable. But we worship other things often through the way that we spend our time, how we set our priorities, and the things that we seek after in our lives. And unfortunately, the condition of our hearts and actions don't make worship of anything else but the triune God unfathomable. But this is why prayer is so important. Why prayer is such a gift and why prayer helps us remember that when we pray, we pray to God the Father because of the redeeming work of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus modeled prayer to God the Father in the importance of consistent, on-purpose prayer. Even as he faced death on the cross, And we read an example of this in Luke chapter 22. This is what it says, starting in verse 39. It'll be on the screen. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. I just want to pause it for a second. I love that it says he went out as usual. To me, that shows consistency. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, 
but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. What a beautiful example that Jesus set here for us, praying that God the Father's will would be done. We can see that there's consistency here. There's trust. But also he's pointing gently his disciples to pray as well. When we pray, we can confess, praise, and present our requests to God. All of these are forms of worship. And when we confess, we are recognizing that we are sinful and cannot save ourselves. When we praise God for who he is and what he has done, we are recognizing his power, his majesty, his sovereignty, and his work in our lives. And when we present our requests before him, whether they be for ourselves or for someone else, we are acknowledging our submission to him, the triune God, and that his will is what we seek. God the Father sent his one and only son to this earth to take our place, die the death that we deserve, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, the son was raised from the dead. And as Jesus promised us, if we submit to him as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit is alive in us today, prompting us to live as light and a reflection of the Lord's character. So when we pray, we pray to the triune God who is in control, powerful, mighty, and loves us more than we will ever comprehend. And the beautiful gift of prayer is that even when we don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. Romans 8 verses 26 and 27 tell us this. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. It's not necessarily about the words we use while we pray. It is about our heart condition, our motivation, and our willingness to come before our God in prayer, even when we don't feel like it, or even when we don't know what to say, or even if we are struggling in our willingness to pray for someone else. So now that we've unpacked the who we pray to, who do we pray for? Again, the answer is simple yet complex because we should be praying for everyone. But what makes this complex is, well, people. Okay, people can be hard sometimes. 
You know what I'm talking about, okay? We, we gotta admit that about ourselves as well. There are things about other people that are just plain annoying, all right? I can't be the only one that feels that way. <laughs> we are all created in the image of God, but we are not all created with the same likes or dislikes or personalities or abilities. And while these differences are wonderful and make life a lot more beautiful and interesting, they can also cause some conflict. Now, many of you know this, but I teach communication studies at some local community colleges. And one of the classes that I get to teach is interpersonal communication. And this class often ends up feeling a little bit like therapy because we break down the complexity of human communication. Now, you may be thinking, uh, we all communicate from birth, so why is it so complex? Well, let me tell you. It's complex because no two people are the same. No two people are alike. And let's be honest, by nature, we are self selfish, sinful human beings who just want things our own way. Okay? It's true. So when people are trying to communicate under these conditions and circumstances, it can get, well, complicated. But here's the thing, the Lord desires that all types of people come to know him, to submit to him as their Lord and Savior. So we, in turn, should care about praying for all types of people, even the really hard ones. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 43 through 45, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. While we may not feel persecuted in America in 2023, like people, let's say, in the book of Acts may have felt, we still have people in our lives that are hard, that are hurtful, and that may look down upon us because of what we believe. But Jesus tells us plain and simple that we must love our enemies and pray for those hard people. We see throughout his many letters that Paul spends a lot of time praying for people he loves. But he also prays for people who he is encouraging to turn from their sinful ways and turn to a loving God. We see his prayer for his fellow believers in Ephesians and Philippians. And we're going to look at a couple of those examples. The first is Ephesians 1, starting in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? according to the work of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, 
far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What a beautiful prayer for his fellow believers. And we see in Philippians 1 this, I thank my God in all my remembrances of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And we also see Paul as he prayed for those who were struggling in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test but we pray to God that you may not do wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though you may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. What an encouragement that Paul had for people at all different stages of their walk with the Lord and all different types of people. So since some of us are list people, I know I am personally, let's take a look at a list of people that we should be praying for. Now, this is real long and the text is kind of small, so maybe take a picture and zoom in later, okay? But we're going to go through these. So we should be praying for ourselves, the people that we love, the people who are hard to love, the people who have hurt us, the people who don't know the Lord yet, our children, other people's children, our future children, our spouses, our future spouses, our significant others, our leaders, both in the church, in government, or at our place of work, our friends, those who we don't have a relationship with yet, right? Our future friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, our extended family members, our church family, teachers, classmates, people of influence in the world, even people we see at random places throughout our day. To sum it up, we should pray for all types of people and we should consider it joy when we do so. Now, this is not an exhaustive list, all right? Even though I've covered a lot of different types of people in our lives, the point of putting a list like this up is to help us start to think about who are the people in our lives that we need to be praying for? I know for me personally, it helps me to write things down so that when I tell someone I'm going to be praying for them, I actually remember to be praying for them, okay? The Notes app on my phone has been a lifesaver. But I also brought a little uh, visual aid with me this morning. I have notebooks like this. Not all of them are this nice. Um, but I have notebooks upon notebooks upon notebooks that I have filled with my prayers, gosh, for probably the last 20 years. And I have kept them all 
They're in a bin in my garage, and when I complete one, I go put it in there, and I go usually to TJ Maxx and buy myself a new one because they're cheap and cute there. <laughs> uh, but I have written things down, and typically when I pray, I, I have an order in which I pray. So I want you to just please hear me for a second. This is not a formula, okay? This is just something that I have done and a habit that I have built in my life that has really helped me. It's helped me to be consistent in my prayer, and it's helped me first and foremost to keep my relationship with the Lord as my top priority. And then it's really helped me to also not just spout off a bunch of random requests or things that I want before the Lord. So when I pray, uh, I typically begin with praise. And I want to spend time starting out praising God for who he is, what he has done, and how he has answered prayer. So I'm going to read you a few little excerpts from an example. This is from uh, 2016. So you can see how uh, that was a while ago now. And it, I was reading actually in the book of Daniel. I write down uh, the book or the chapter I'm reading that morning and, and the date typically. Uh, this was January 26, if you want to know. So it says, Lord, I praise you for today, for another day to bring, bring you honor and glory, to serve you and follow your will. I pray, Lord, that you will go before me and lead me. I pray for your wisdom and insight. I praise you because you are with me. You guide me. You bless me beyond what I deserve. I praise you because you are my God and King, my Father and friend. You are good, and I can and do trust in you. So after I've spent some time praising the Lord, I move into a time of confession. And I start by asking that the Lord would convict me of my sin, to reveal areas of sin in my life, and then I ask for forgiveness. So, for example, this is how I started it on that January morning. Lord, reveal my sin to me. Show me where I need forgiveness. Forgive my jealousy, my frustration, my lack of patience, and my time with truly listening, my lack of time truly listening to you. And then I move into a time of presenting my requests before him. I begin this time of prayer by praying for my own relationship with the Lord, for requests that I might have personally, for, for wisdom, or for whatever I'm dealing with or struggling with at that day, that hour, that minute, that season of life. And so it would go something like this. Father, may you use me. May I, be bold, may I boldly proclaim your truth and hope to all I come in contact with today. May I proclaim your hope and truth, and may you use me, Lord. And I go on to pray more about whatever is going on in my life. And then I move to praying for Kyle, my husband. And I pray for him, that God would bless him and lead him, whatever he's got going on. And then I move into a time of praying for my children. And I pray for them individually. And then I move on to praying for my extended family or friends or, or ministry opportunities or for our leaders. And I don't pray the same prayer every single time. And after I pray for myself and my husband and my kids, I don't even go in the same order all the time. I like to switch. I like change. So I like to switch things up. Sometimes I write my prayer. Sometimes I go on a walk and I pray out loud. Hey, I usually put my headphones in so people think I'm talking to somebody, if I'm being honest. <laughs> uh, but sometimes I'm praying in my head as well as I'm walking. And sometimes my prayer time is shorter and sometimes it's longer. But the point is that I'm praying. 
And I'm not just praying for my own concerns, I'm praying for others, and I'm praying for all types of circumstances as well. James 5 verses 13 through 20 encourages us in this way when it comes to prayer. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them think, sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call, on the, uh, call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, is one, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. When we are praying for others or for circumstances, we need to remember who we are praying to, the triune God, the creator of all things, the one true and holy God who is in control, whose will is best, and who loves us and others far more than we will ever be able to comprehend. He is the one who saves, provides, heals, and leads us, and whose perfect plan we can fully trust. I know for me personally, it is far easier to pray for people I love. And I can often forget how much God loves the people who have hurt me. And the importance of praying for people who may feel far more like enemies than friends. I don't think that my first reaction has ever been to pray for someone after they've hurt me. In my humanness, I want to stay angry because I think it will be easier. Or I can convince myself that I am justified in my anger and I might just feel like I want to cut that person out of my life, or at least out of my prayer life. But here's the thing. As believers, we are called to forgive. Just as Ephesians 4 says in verses 31 through 32, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Now, this is far easier said than done. And I think the first step towards true forgiveness is prayer. And it's okay to not know what to say or to even begin our prayers with, Lord, I am so angry right now, or I am so hurt, or I am so confused, or I don't get it. I just went on a walk the other day and I was like, Lord, I don't, even, I don't even know how to feel right now. I don't even know what to say. 
But do you remember what we read earlier in Romans 8? In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes on, for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. This applies to so many areas and types of relationships in our lives, especially when we've been hurt. But the important thing is that we take the first step and begin to pray for someone who has hurt us or let us down or who has not treated us fairly. As I was meeting with Tim to talk through some things for my sermon, he said something that struck me, and it's this. I have never forgiven someone who I haven't already prayed for. It was so convicting to me because I started to think, have I been praying for the people who have hurt me and I need to offer forgiveness to? The answer is not always yes. Now, we may not want to forgive or admit our part in an issue or conflict, but the Lord can begin to soften our hearts when we begin to pray for these hard people in our lives. Prayer is the first step towards forgiveness, and it's a very important step. This step can help us move towards a willingness to love our enemies and pray for those hard people, as we read in Matthew earlier. And it's often in our prayers of frustration or anger that God begins to work in our own hearts and convicts us of areas of sin in our own lives. I can't tell you the number of times that I have started to pray something that God would change someone else in some certain way, and he changes me first. Prayer is powerful, and it is effective, not because of our perfectly worded petitions to the Lord, but because we who we are praying to. Prayer is powerful because of who we are praying to, the triune God, creator of all things. And while it's important to be praying for others, we cannot forget to be praying for ourselves and our own relationship with the Lord just as much. We need to praise God for how he has grown us, changed us, and used us for his glory we need to pray that the Lord would convict our hearts and lead us to repentance. And we need to present our requests before him, asking him to grow us and to change us, to use us, and to grant us wisdom. Because life can be hard. But we have prayer. One of my most favorite prayers is what Paul prays for the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to read this prayer to us. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love 
of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I have loved this prayer for many years. It is a prayer that I have prayed over different ministries that I have led over my husband, my children, myself. And it's a beautiful prayer. And the thing that strikes me the most is the ending of this. To him who's able to do far more abundantly. But it's not that we just get to pray and ask God for these big, huge things that we just want. It is about bringing him glory. Now, can God do big, huge, miraculous things that we would never think possible? Of course he can. He's God. But it is about us seeking his will and giving him all the glory. Now, this could be something that we pray not only for ourselves, like I mentioned I've done, but also for others that we would be strengthened and rooted and understand the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ. What a beautiful thing to be praying for somebody in your life, even if they are the one who's hurt you. Prayer is a gift. It's an opportunity for intimate connection with our Lord. And we should consider it a privilege to pray, whether we are praying for ourselves or we are praying for someone else or we are praying for those really hard people in our lives. And let us not forget the importance to be praying for all people. As we pray to God the Father because of the redeeming work of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. I would like to close our time together today by praying the words of Ephesians 3 over us all. So will you bow your heads with me while I pray? Father God, we thank you that we can come before you. Thank you so much for the gift of Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you for the sacrifice that you made on the cross on our behalf, taking our place, dying the death that we deserved, and defeating death by rising again. We thank you for the gift of prayer. And Father, I pray right now as I come and kneel before you from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to your riches, may you strengthen us, Lord, with power through your spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith and that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses our knowledge and our understanding, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to you who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think or imagine, Lord, according to your power that is at work within us. To you be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.